Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ at 102.1 FM, your local community radio station. My name's Andy and I'll be hanging out with you for the next hour, broadcasting on Jagra and Tourable Country as we do each week. Thanks very much to Quentin for the last couple of hours of Friday Neon quality programming as you would expect on 4ZZZ. And today on the show... We are going to be talking about Palestine. It's uh, not a new political issue, but it is one that I think it's worth uh, touching back in on every now and then because for Palestinian people, they live it every day. And if you follow the news there, there's constantly reports of um, violent attacks by settlers on Palestinian people, on expanding of Israeli territory and... And all kinds of disagreements. And for people who are in the Gaza Strip or in the West Bank, uh, their daily life is one of definite oppression. And for the rest of us, we maybe think, oh, yeah, it's more news about Palestine. But they are living it. So I think it's good to, every now and then, refresh ourselves, um, hear what's going on and what we can do to support the people there just trying to live in their land. Um. So today on the show, I am hoping we'll have a chat with Lee Rhiannon, who has just been over in Palestine. She's a busy woman, but she if we can get her on the phone in the next hour, we will. But I will be speaking to Samir Elagta, who I interviewed this morning, who will be this Sunday uh, leading the uh, Pal- Palestinian Dakba dance troupe in a celebratory dance at the conclusion of the big riot for Palestine. That's been going on over the last month. A whole bunch of people uh, to raise awareness and raise money for human rights initiatives on the ground in Palestine. They've been out around town riding their treadleys. You might have seen some maybe in green Palestine jerseys and they've been raising money for... I think there's a few different organisations. One of them is a Palestinian women's health organisation which was started by a woman called Olfat Mahmoud. Now, there's celebrations this week at the end of Big Ride for Palestine, but there will be a bit of sadness as well because Olfat Mahmoud has just died um, just recently and so that she's been a long-term partner of Union Aid Abroad, which is 
the fundraising group that organises Big Ride for Palestine. So I did interview Olfat back in 2018 and I thought oh, it'd be good to dig out that interview again as a tribute to a woman who are born in a refugee camp and lived basically her entire life in refugee camps but um, committed her life to serving the people around her and um, working to better the conditions of Palestinian people, not just herself. So I've got that interview. We've got Samir and hopefully we'll have Lee Rhiannon. And I should plug as well that the big ride for Palestine concludes this Sunday with a final ride and then there is an event um, in Fairfield, uh, Yoronga on the Corso. At There's a coffee cart there owned by a Palestinian... Uh, local Palestinians. I don't have the details right in front of me, but I will give them to you. I think it's 10 a.m. Everybody's meeting to celebrate. There'll be some speeches and um, also some dakba dancing. And so you can come along to that, be a part of it, and you can pitch in a bit of money too to help keep it all going. Um, that is about concludes my intro to the show. I will say one other thing. Thanks, everybody, who came to the Paradigm Shift and Radio Reversal podcast launch on the weekend. It was so nice to see a lot of people there and celebrate making independent radical media together, which I promise both myself here at the Paradigm Shift and Radio Reversal will continue to do both on your airwaves and now also in the world of podcasts where you can follow us both. Um... But for now, let's get talking Palestine. I'm going to start off with a poem. This is Rafif Ziadar with Cultivate Hope. Our spring in Palestine is born in a prison cell. Our spring in Palestine is born shackled to a hospital bed. Our spring in Palestine is born with an administrative detention order against it. Our spring in Palestine is born in a prison cell. Our spring in Palestine is born shackled to a hospital bed. Our spring in Palestine is born with an administrative detention order against it. But it blossoms even in hunger. Even in hunger, I pray you strength. I pray you justice. I pray you freedom. I pray you strength. I pray you justice. I pray you freedom. Pray your heart muscle, holding all of us tonight, holds on a day stronger, a sunrise longer, a day longer, a sunrise stronger. Though forgive me sister, I forgot prayers some time ago, lost them in alleys, in refugee camps, too crowded with shrapnel memory, when sound barrier breaking skies, breaking sound breaking, wasn't sure our voices would reach God anymore. That same year, 82, you were born But you cultivate hope in me So I light candles and I kneel to whisper I pray you strength, I pray you justice, I pray you freedom You cultivate hope in the rest of us Lost in roadmaps to nowhere, to anywhere but the shores of Aqqa You cultivate hope, long lost in their pragmatic solutions You cultivate hope in the rest of us And in your strength We are no longer 67 Palestinians, 48 Palestinians No numbers dividing us by massacres attached to our skin No 
numbers for years, dividing us by massacres attached to our skin, and no negotiating tables to dine over in silence, no intellectual conversations to argue how lucky Israeli women are, how lucky, how free they get to serve in the army. One dragged you across the floor, one promised severe punishment. One dragged you across the floor, and the other one promised severe punishment. In your silence, you are stronger than each of them. You cultivate hope in the rest of us. What do your captors know of heart muscles? Born to the beat of bombs, born against a state of siege, born to a rhythm louder than all their guns, born free. What do they know of us? Hearts as soft as child hands, learn to pick up rock, with the care of farmers loving harvest. Our spring in Palestine is born in a prison cell. Our spring in Palestine is born shackled to a hospital bed. Our spring in Palestine is born with an administrative detention order against it. But it blossoms, even in hunger. Your spirit, like spring, your spirit, like spring, will always be free, will always be free. So I pray you strength, I pray you justice, I pray you freedom, I pray us strength, I pray us justice, I pray us freedom. On the paradigm shift on 4ZZZ, that is Rafif Ziadar there with Cultivate Hope. And on the phone right now, I have Lee Rhiannon. Hello, Lee. Hi, how are you, Andy? Uh, very good, thanks. It's great to have you on air. Um, you've been for a long time an advocate for people of Palestine. Do you want to start off by, um, I guess, saying how you got involved in that struggle and what it's looked like, your solidarity from Australia? Uh, look, I'm 72, and, in the, and my mother worked for an an international women's organisation and what I can remember so clearly it was really probably the first time I heard about what was happening in Palestine and it just burned into my brain is that my mum came back from um, being in Palestine and she told me these stories that had obviously shocked her and they certainly shocked me of meeting elderly men and women who showed her the keys to their house but they couldn't live in their house anymore. They had been thrown out, often under terrible circumstances, lost their home, their land. And as a young teenager, by I'm in the, probably in the mid-60s, middle-aged teenager, I, and I come from a poor working-class family, but my life was wonderful here. And I knew about bad things happening in the world, famines, etc. But the thought that you could have your home taken off you and hundreds, thousands of people losing their home under such circumstances has never left me. And then one of the times I've been to Palestine three times, I went to the Bethlehem refugee camp and across the entrance, which is very large, very big archway, and there's a giant key, this big, like a, one of the rusty keys that the um, Palestinians who were evicted and slaughtered under such shocking cir circumstances, it's, re it's a replica of that. And they told me how they're often invited to festivals in Europe in support of Palestine, and they take this giant key with them. So it's become very symbolic of the shocking crimes of the Zionists in taking over Palestinian land. Mm. And 
you've been involved in Palestinian solidarity in Australia now, I guess since then, since you were a young woman hearing that story. Um, amongst other things that you've done, you were a New South Wales senator for a long time as well with the Green Party. You've had lots that's kept you busy. But I guess um, what are some of the things that you have been a part of from Australian solidarity with Palestine and what do you think is the importance of that? Oh, look, it's so important. While I was just in Palestine, I was part of the Dare to Struggle film unit and we were making, um, well, we thought we were making one film. We've decided to make a number of films that will be freely available to the Palestine support movement here and around the world to help raise the awareness of the shocking crimes that are being committed against Palestinians. Um, and look, what what I've learned, um, I've been involved in a lot of international solidarity and it came home, it was reinforced so strongly on this trip from the academics that we interviewed, unionists, trade union, uh, trade unionists, academics, um, um, members of non-government organisations and people I would sit on the bus with. Once they knew why we were there, they'd say, please take our story to the world. International solidarity is so important. Uh, Palestinians barely have a voice uh, and they want, um, they want that support. They want their voice heard, but they know they need support. So I think where we can, getting that support, uh, particularly the actions on the street are so important, but moving the motions in Parliament, doing the speeches, it's all part of that, raising awareness um, and highlighting that Palestinians have a right to determine their own future um, and they should have the right of return. So you just said that you have um, just got back from Palestine. So I guess... Um, what all of us would love to know is what are the latest updates and are there things that are, are have recently been changing, hopefully for the better, or have they been changing for the worse? Well, to take the last part of your question first, changing for the worse, what's just so alarming? This was my third visit to Palestine, and every time you visit, there are more and more settlements. There's 700 to 800,000 illegal settlements um, on Palestinian land. And they really are effectively like troops because what do troops do when they invade a country? You take over the land. And that is what these settlers are doing. Um, they often are then pulling up the um, uh, olive trees in the orchards of the Palestinians, um, demolishing their houses. Like, you know, we, we interviewed people where that one man, his house has been demolished twice. I've heard of other people demolished many times. And there's volunteers that then help them rebuild the house as a, a statement of the rights of the Palestinians. So, you know, like the, the crimes are extensive and that's what's so worrying. The positive side is that the resilience of the Palestinians I do find extraordinary. Very welcoming people, incredibly gracious and helpful, um, very committed to their struggle and their life goes on. So, at the moment, you know, if you if you Google it, you'll be finding large numbers of people, the Palestinians, are being killed by Israel. Um, many children, many young Palestinian children are being killed. They particularly target the young Palestinian men, often invading the homes in the early hours of the morning when people are in a deep sleep and hauling them out. Um, and so that those people then in, end up in military, a military under a military court system, and then usually are jailed. So they, those sort of crimes continue at a at a frightening rate, causing you know terrible damage to people. 
But the resistance movement is growing. The Palestinians are working to unite the different tendencies that there are. And I think our main job in Australia is to raise awareness about the issue. And again, if any of your listeners are interested um, where our films will be out early in the new year and the purpose is to have events, show them, raise awareness and work to get more people involved in international solidarity here for the Palestinian people. One of the things that has been in the news this year has been mass protests in Israel by Israeli people against um, the Netanyahu government's uh, changes to the judicial system, basically to remove independence of um, juries and police. And it was very encouraging, really, to see humongous protests there and that did um, gain some wins. I wonder if that's had any effect on, you know, the settlements, on relationships between Israel and Palestine and what do Palestinian people think of all this? Um, well, the, with regard to the settlements, I don't think it's having any impact. They're just still literally moving across the landscapes um, with these huge constructions going on. Um, in terms of most of the Palestinians we talked about, like there was very, you had to ask the question, like it is not an issue for the Palestinians. And why it isn't, and why they say that to, to explain that to you, is because what they're seeing in these battles is that it's really a battle between two sections of Israeli society to maintain the privileges that they have. Because the judicial system is fundamentally unfair uh, to Palestinians. It's one of the most standout examples of the apartheid system that now operates in in Israel. Uh, And... So that's why, um, and what I mean by that is that with um, a Palestinian is charged for, like, these young Palestinian boys who throw rocks at tanks, they're regularly charged. They go before a military court. If you're an Israeli, you're in a civil court. Uh, And so there was cynicism among the Palestinians that we spoke to about this. They can't see that there's going to be change that will come out of that that's going to bring justice for Palestinians at really is different sections of Israeli society yeah, battling for their privilege. Having said that, though, how I, my own personal take on it, I can see what the Palestinians say. Anything that might destabilise the Netanyahu government, I see as a good thing, but we don't want one bad problem being replaced by another. Now, there has been some sad news coming out of um, Palestine very recently with the death of Olfat Mahmoud, who I understand that you knew and had, uh, had worked with and was very linked to Australian solidarity. What's the significance of Olfat and what she did in um, working with other Palestinian women in refugee camps? Olfat Mahmoud um, died, and I do um, send condolences to her family and to all her, her colleagues. Like, it was incredibly sad. She um, was a trained nurse, a, a, a very experienced health practitioner, um, and then very innovative in how she worked within the Palestinian struggle um, in building up services for women and children, particularly in refugee camps. Her own story, there's a book about her um, um, that she wrote about her life and um, her village because she she was born in this huge refugee camp in um, Beirut, in Lebanon. And it's regarded as the 
like the hardest of the refugee camps because the conditions the people live under in those camps to this day remain appalling. Because remember, one of the tactics coming out of the US, coming out of Israel, is to abolish the, these refugee camps. So they can say, oh, there's no problem here, don't have Palestinian refugees, everything's fine for Israel. Like, just a, a, a total, um, very ugly way to um, engage with this situation. So, so this, her life was just phenomenal. Um, she was born in this refugee camp. Um, her, um, some of she raised her children there. She was able to move out from time to time. She also spoke at the United Nations. She helped um, set up Union Aid Abroad, um, also known as AFIDA, one of the best of the aid organisations in Australia that works in a very fine way and particularly does work in um, the West Bank and with Gaza in helping those communities. And that was at the front line of organising those projects. So um, the loss of her is very sad and it is very huge for the Palestinian movement, particularly for refugees and particularly for those refugees in the camps in Beirut. Okay, well, Lee, you're back in Australia. Um, I guess looking forward for Palestine and having spoken to people there, um, what are people's hopes for the future? What are people working towards right now? And what will you be working towards? Look, I think the, our main job in Australia is to raise awareness about uh, about the issue. And I feel that the situation is changing <clears throat> because I've been conscious of this issue for so long. For a long time, nobody talked about Palestine um, and they thought poor Israel because Israel's been very good at playing the victim poor Israel. But I see that there's huge change in attitude. Most people realise this isn't a battle between two sides. It's an issue of a colonial, colonial settler regime that has taken over the Palestinian land. So I think raising the awareness is incredibly important and then getting people active. Like, it's fantastic um, about the big bike, bike ride for Palestine. That's a way to raise awareness. It's a way to, to raise um, money um, for their projects. So that's very important. And then a big aspect of the Palestinian struggle, which they identified really was very critical for what they're trying to achieve, is what's now called the BDS movement, boycotts, divestments and sanctions. And we know how powerful that is from the big struggle to end apartheid in South Africa. Nelson Mandela, the leader of the African National Congress, came to Australia just eight months after he was um, um, got out of jail. And he paid huge tribute to the unions here and the Australian um, anti-apartheid movement for helping lift um, the global movement. And that was really through the awareness, very strong direct actions. Many people were arrested in those battles. Um, but particularly having the boycotts, the divestment and the sanctions, uh, because that's a way to you know, bring a sort of economic, a um, financial punch into what you try to achieve. So the, the, there needs to be many aspects to this struggle. Um, and it's just critical that we keep standing with Palestinians. What's, what, what's been done to them on an increasing levels of violence um, in recent years 
is, is just horrendous. And we always need to remember Gaza at this time because Israel has shut down Gaza. Literally, I've only been able to get into Gaza once. Hardly anybody gets into Gaza these days. It is the world's biggest prison. And no journalists are there. We don't hear about it. But the Gazan people, the Palestinians there, are fighting as well. And we need to stand with them, the people on the West Bank, the people, the Palestinians in um, Israel. It's, a, it's very important. All right. Thanks very much for chatting with us today, Lee. Thank you very much, Andy, for your time. Good to talk to you. Bye-bye. From work, our eyes met. We laughed about how the soldiers talked. A smile of quiet dignity in that cage of shame. Determination in your eyes, I might never see again. And I let my heart in Palestine. Quietly crying on the bus Staring into the distance as we drove back through the dust A spirit gently bending in this hope we trust Nothing on our skin makes them better than us And I, I let my heart in Palestine In the soft light of the dust As the setting sun reflected off the dome of the rock Crackling like a gunshot A distant call to prayer Someone praising God and saying we're still here and I Let my heart In Palestine On the paradigm shift on four triple Z, um, the song we just had was Phil Monsoor with "I Left My Heart in Palestine," uh, who Phil has been a very long-term supporter of Palestine. Um, and before then, we had somebody else who has had for a long time been showing solidarity, Lee Rhiannon, who has just returned from Palestine, as she was saying. So good to get an update from her. 
Uh, we're talking about Palestine today on the Paradigm Shift because we always should keep it in our minds, the struggles of people there, um, but also because this Sunday is the closing event for the Big Ride for Palestine, which is one of the big events of Brisbane Palestine Solidarity that happens each year. There are other events as um, always commemorations of Al-Nakba, the original dispossession of Palestine, and I think there's actually monthly vigils on Friday mornings that the um, Palestine Solidarity Group does as well. But uh, the big ride is a, a chance for people to get together, and so this Sunday um, at 10 a.m. at the Baladi Coffee Cart, 237 Brisbane Corso in Yoronga, there will be a celebration for the end um, of the big ride and you'll hear from a few speakers as well and not only that you will have a chance to see and take part in some palestinian dakba dancing a traditional um dance of palestinian people that's been kept alive around the world as a way of keeping hope going and i spoke to samir elagta uh, this morning about uh, dakba dancing and its cultural importance Let's have a listen. My name is Samir, uh, Palestinian-Australian. Uh, I've been living in Australia for the last 15 years, and I call Australia home. Mm. And before, 15 years ago when you came to Australia, you were living in Palestine. Can you tell us a bit about the story of um, how you ended up leaving there and coming to Australia? Now, uh, Andy, my story is a little bit different. Um, I lived, uh, when I born, I born as a refugee, a Palestinian refugee. So technically, I born uh, out of Palestine. My parents, after the war, after 1948, uh, my parents left our village, or actually fled our village uh, uh, to another city in Palestine. And then they had to leave there because of the war and because of the conditions there. And uh, technically, I born in Middle East, in Saudi Arabia, because my parents didn't have a Palestinian ID. Uh, we always had a Palestinian refugee passport, which has a lot of restrictions and uh, uh, complications. So technically, I lived almost half of my life as a refugee. So you were just living in refugee camps with other Palestinian refugees? Uh, no, we used to live in a normal city in Saudi Arabia, uh, different than the refugee camps in Jordan or Lebanon or Syria, but it was kind of a normal living. But uh, as an idea or the way we've been treated over there, uh, we always been treated as uh, refugees, where we don't have an uh, we don't have a, a passport or we don't have um, an ID that can recognize us as Palestinians. So, growing up though, did your parents very strongly impress on you that you are Palestinian people and that you have a homeland? Oh, definitely. Uh, my dad insists every year during school holiday to take us back to Palestine for almost, I remember, two months every year. We spend holiday school and school holiday in Palestine. And his main 
goal was for us to know our country, to know our land, and to be attached to our land and our family there. So it was a no, no negotiable thing for him. We have to go to Palestine. You have to see your land, and you have to understand what's going on there. And this is this is how we grow up. We grow up as refugees out of Palestine, but we were deeply attached to our homeland and uh, our family over in Palestine. Mm. And so, one of the things that you've carried on doing as an adult is Palestinian uh, dakba dancing. Can you tell us how did you learn that dance, and what was the importance of that in being a part of the Palestinian diaspora? Now, when when I arrived in Australia uh, 15 years ago, I noticed the Australians, the normal Australian people or our community, they don't know much about Palestine. And if you, when you introduce yourself to new people, and when you say Palestine, or I'm I'm Palestinian or from Palestine, they question where is it, or where is Palestine, or they connect Palestine with Israel. And that was a really um, concern to me because we really need people to know who we are and where are we from and our identity and our history. Um, So after I lived here in a few years, like maybe two or three years, uh, I noticed the Australian community or Australian people, they love music and food. And this is where the idea came from. The easiest language to speak to people uh, out of politics is just talk about music and dance and food. Introduce yourself or introduce your heritage or your history to them through dance and music. It was the easiest way for for people to listen and ask questions. And uh, yeah, I think I did what we did, me and my friends doing the our Debki through is uh, just introduce our music and culture and uh, history to the Australian community and to other communities. And we were really impressed the way everyone communicating with us. They asked, oh, we never, we never, we never knew about this. We don't know that uh, Palestine as a history or different history or the conflict between Israel Israel and Palestine. They always knew the conflict from one side and they never heard the other side. And that was a really important message for us to start our conversation with uh, our community. And what about for you as Palestinian people, when you do the dance, is there some something it does for you personally in connecting you with that land where, you know, you've never lived but that you claim still as your homeland? Absolutely. Now, just to give you a brief, Andy, about the Debki, the Palestinian Debki. Debki means stomp, stomping on the, by your feet on the, on the ground or on the floor. Uh, the Debki the Debki is a very folk dance or traditional dance. It started long, long time ago in Palestine, and it came from when the farmers work in the field, and they use they didn't have much tools or equipment to harvest or to work on their farm. So technically, they used their feet to 
stomp the ground or mix the, um, if you want to say, mix the sand with water or mix the mud and uh, work on their field. But technically, they were using their feet all together, stomping the ground or the mud to, uh, to grow their uh, produce. And this is where it came from. And when we learned, when I personally learned uh, the dance uh, in Palestine, when I used to go there every summer or every holiday with my family, it, uh, the Debki dance is more about joy and uh, uh, people gathering together. So there is no occasion, a happy occasion in Palestine. Uh, there is no happy occasion in Palestine without Debki dance. Palestinian Dutti dance. It has to be there. It's kind of celebration and joy uh, for everyone to participate together. And this is what we explain to our to our audience here when we do any multicultural events and we get invited to perform Palestinian Dutti. The first thing we the first thing we introduce the Palestinian Dutti and. I can see on people's faces the way they are listening and uh, engaging with us. And once we start the performance and we uh, encourage everyone actually to join us to dance Palestinian Debki or do a small move, people, they, people love it. They get really engaged and involved because they found a way to communicate with Palestinian or connect with Palestine. So do you think in terms of the Palestinian longing for a homeland, or I guess to stop Israel taking away what's left of Palestine and the continuing settlements, do you think that that kind of doing the dance and building that connection, connecting people here with Palestinian culture, do you think it does affect uh, Palestinian life and politics beyond just the dancing? Absolutely, and the um, it's not a secret that because of the occupation, uh, the Palestinians, uh, they are losing their part of their uh, culture or part of their, um, I don't know what would you call it, but we know because of occupation, uh, they, they didn't only occupy our land, they occupied our food, our music, our even clothes, uh, if you know what I mean. And for us to tell the Australian community or to tell the Australian people uh, this is not uh, what do you know, this is a Palestinian music, this is Palestinian food, this is Palestinian traditional dress. Uh, our kufiya, and everyone knows the Palestinian kufiya, the black and white one, uh, We've been noticing, and everyone knows it, uh, you can see it on social media and online, um, the Israelis trying to claim the, even the kufiya and change the color. They try to claim the music. They try to claim food and everything. It's not only uh, occupying a land. They, are, they, want all, they want also to remove our identity from all aspects of, of life. And for us as Palestinians, uh, this is maybe the main message we are doing, trying to teach people or tell people there is another story and I could the, there is another side of this story and 
Palestinian people or Palestinian culture does exist. Now, this Sunday, you're going to be dancing at the finale of the Big Ride for Palestine. People have been riding around Brisbane, uh, both trying to raise awareness for Palestine and also raise money for humanitarian projects there. Correct. What does it mean to you as a Palestinian refugee to see people doing that kind of solidarity? It's the the least thing to say thank you to them. I I couldn't try it, or I can't try it, unfortunately, and uh, otherwise I would love to be with them to raise money and do what they are doing. But for us to be there as Palestinian member and also as Palestinian community to be there, it's just to say thank you to them and also to celebrate their achievement at the end. They've been cycling or riding for the last three, four weeks or maybe more. And this is the smallest thing we can do to them to say thank you and celebrate their achievement and uh, celebrate the fundraiser they have done, they have completed to help other humanitarian issues. Okay, thanks very much for chatting with us, Samir. <laughs> My pleasure, thank you, Andy. to cut that one short though i can guarantee if you turn up on sunday the uh dakba dancing will not be cut short it will be um dance until everybody's danced out but we are low on time but that is a bit of palestinian dakba music with a bit of a modern twist that one by ibrahim al-mazri it's called birit la arab um and before then, we were speaking with Samir Elagda about the significance of Palestinian Dakba dancing. They will be doing it at the event uh, this Sunday, the finale of the big ride for Palestine. You can go along 
If you're there by 8am, you can take part in the final ride, which will ride around the bike pass of Brisbane from Bellardi Cafe at the coffee cart at Yoronga on the Corso, right near the football field. Um, if you're there at 10 a.m., you'll get the speeches and the dancing and the celebration. Um, I'm getting texts in from Ian. He's telling me there's also Palestine Fair Trade Australia stall at West End Markets tomorrow. There's a Justice for Palestine Facebook group if you want to get involved. It's all happening. Um, I do want to play one last interview, though, for the show before we... Uh, finish for another week and that is with Olfat Mahmood who we spoke about her with Lee Rhiannon she did just pass away after a life of um, of giving and organizing and working hard for the her fellow Palestinians and I did interview her back in 2018 and so I thought as a bit of a tribute um, I would dig this one out from the archive so let's have a listen my name is Olfat Mahmoud. I am a Palestinian refugee from Lebanon. And yeah. you've just uh, written a book, a memoir called Tears for Tashiha. Can you tell us a bit about yeah, the book? True. The book is a combination of history and autobiography. It reflects the life of refugees. And the book also focuses on how our grandparents and parents talk to us about their homeland, about the right of return, and it's based on the right of return. It also uh, talks about uh, my experience working in a refugee camp as a nurse first, then in social work. It shows uh, the struggle of the Palestinians in their daily life as well. It's interesting that you say the, the right of return and the importance of that for Palestinian people, because many like you uh, were born in a refugee camp, born in Lebanon, but you still consider Palestine your homeland and a place that you you want to go back to. Yeah, it's the it's the land of my grandparents and parents. Even if I was born in Lebanon, I'm still Palestinian. I'm a Palestinian refugee. When you asked me to introduce yourself, I said I'm a Palestinian refugee. Lebanon is my second homeland if you want but i never felt it's my homeland and so growing up in lebanon you got involved as you said as a a nurse and a a social worker what was the progression for that from somebody who grew up in a refugee camp how did you become a nurse and then involved in a an ngo you know our parents they always told us you know, as a refugee, you lose your dignity. Education is the only way to gain your dignity again. And the, most Palestinians focus on education, and they want their children to be well-educated. It's not easy. It's very difficult. But with some determination, I was able uh, to be well-educated. When I finished high school, I wanted to study medicine. I couldn't because my father couldn't pay for my education. Uh, we, as Palestinians, we don't have universities. It's all private sector. So I went and joined the School of Nursing. And I worked all through my, all my experiences through war. Then I changed my career because I had enough from, you know, nursing wounded people and seeing the injustice. And so I stopped nursing and went back to university and studied sociology and psychology. And every few years, I will, like when I finished my degree in sociology and psychology, I stopped for a few years to get, 
to save some money, went back to do my master's and saved some money and went and I did my PhD in psychology. So this is how it's like, it was not easy. I kept uh, stopping my, like stopping my education to be able to save some money and go back to continue. Now you uh, started an organization called the Palestinian mm-hmm. Women's Humanitarian Organization. I'm interested because Palestinians are displaced people and refugees and a number of other issues, but what do you think uh, is particularly different for a a woman, a Palestinian woman, than it is from a man? Mm. Uh, First of all, uh, in general, women, they have uh, more responsibility towards their families. Like women bring up children, women, they are responsible for the family. So when we, when myself and the group of other women, we decided to start this organization, we felt like if we, are, if we find a woman's body, then we will be able to tackle women's issue. And this is why we started this organization, to be with women, and work with women within her family. So if we have really a strong woman, then the, gen- the next generation will be strong as well. So this is why we decided to work with women, to meet their needs and be with them and help them to be stronger and to be able to cope with their very difficult situation. Do you think it's more difficult for women in Palestine than it is for men? No, both are suffering, actually. Both are suffering. But women, is a, it's another story because women, they are in charge of their, of their bringing up their children. And women, they, they have issues which should be met, like should be uh, tackled. So this is why we decided to work with women but that doesn't mean we don't work with men because I told you we work with women within her family. So many times we work with women and men at the same time. Uh, if there is a problem, we need to meet both of them, the, the husband and the wife. So men are suffering as well. It's enough that they are not really, they have, because as we are refugees in Lebanon, we have no right to work. So most men, they are not working. And that means more women are working than men because we are only able to work within Palestinian workforce. And most of the jobs we have, it's social work, nursing, it's like teaching. So there are more female uh, jobs. And uh, this is why men also lost their main role as breadwinner. So they face a huge problem. But we are specialized in women's issue. There are other NGOs who work with men. But at the same time, we work with both women and men. The issue of refugees around the world in the last few years has gained uh, a lot of attention with people talking about uh, a refugee crisis in Europe with the numbers and in Australia, a government that's very anti-refugees. As somebody who yourself is a refugee and who who works with refugees. What do you think of this kind of conversation? Look, I'll tell you, no one chooses to be a refugee. It's not a nice experience. It's not really a fruitful experience. So people, when they leave their country and they go to another country because of terror, because of war, because of persecution, and at the other end, they are treated badly. 
it's not fair really. People always ask for help because they need help. And for me as Palestinian refugee, I'm, yeah, I feel with the refugees and I, my case is worse even because I'm not just a refugee, I'm a refugee and stateless. I have no country to go back to it. I have actually, but I am forbidden from going there. Yeah, and I guess that leads me to the next question of, for us, we're a long way here from Israel and Palestine, and the problems seem to grow and grow, and the Australian government is quite pro-Israel, and while many of much of the world is more supportive of Palestine, the United Nations, what do you think are the steps required for a just and peaceful solution there in Palestine? It's like the international community should put pressure in, on Israel to stop the war, also to allow Palestinians to return back, because we as Palestinians, we have the resolution, UN Resolution 194, which stated that the Palestinian has their, Palestinians have the right to return. So we, don't, we want this UN Resolution to be implemented. And the international community should take responsibility. I'll tell you, when in 1947, when Palestine was divided into two states, the international community made this decision. So they should take the responsibility. And you said at the beginning, uh, like, Australia is very far from uh, Palestine and Israel and Lebanon. Yeah, it's not about, it's, we're not talking about distance. We are talking about decisions. And I need to remind you, in 1947, Australia had the casting vote to divide Palestine into two states. So they have responsibility as well towards the Palestinians. And for Australian people, what can we do to support Palestinians' uh, right to return and justice for Palestinian people? There are many organizations here who work for that, so at least to join them. Also to write to their MPs and to uh, politicians asking them to raise the issue of Palestinian refugees and work to find a fair solution to the Palestinian. When I say fair solution, we have been suffering for 70 years. It's enough. So fair solution means we have the right of return. And we have tried the two states in 1947 and after the Oslo Accord 1993, and it didn't work. So what we want, why? Why? We all believe in democracy. We all talk about the human rights. We all talk about justice. So the Palestinians should be given this right, and we should have one democratic state with equal rights and equal civil rights as well. We used to live together. Why not now? Mm. We used to live together, Muslims, Christians, and Jews. Why not now? We appreciate peace, and we want to live in peace as Palestinians. But peace alone is not enough. We need peace and justice. And we need to end the suffering of 70 years. Thank you, Olfat. Thank you. RIP Olfat Mahmoud. That is an interview from 2018 um, that I recorded with um, Olfat Mahmoud, who has just passed away um, in a refugee camp in Lebanon. She never did manage to return to the homeland that she had longed for. 
um, so much and that she had worked all her life towards uh, getting her people back there. But uh, an inspiring woman and what an honour it was to speak to her as well as so many other people over the years on the paradigm shift um, that we have given their time to uh, speak with us. That is just about all we have time for for another week. As I have mentioned through the show, there is an event this Sunday at the Pilates Coffee Cart at Yoronga, 10 a.m. if you want to be there for the speeches, for the end of the big ride for Palestine, um, and many ongoing things of Palestinian solidarity you can get involved in if you are keen. I'm going to go out with one last song. This is Low Key. See you next week. This is for Palestine, Ramallah, West Bank, Gaza This is for the child that is searching for an answer Wish I could take your tears and replace them with laughter Long live Palestine, long live Gaza Palestine, Ramallah, West Bank, Gaza This is for the child that is searching for an answer Wish I could take your tears and replace them with laughter Long live Palestine while we listen to tunes made by ignorant fools Israel blocked the UN from delivering food They bring in the troops and you won't even glimpse of the news They make money off the products that we're quick to consume And it's not simply a question of differing views Forget emotions, this is facts, what I spit is the truth Makes no difference if you're a Christian or if you're a Jew They're just people living in different conditions to you They still die when you bomb their schools Mosques and hospitals, it's not because of rockets Please God, can you stop this all? I'm not related to the strangers on the TV, but I relate, cause those strangers could have been me Words could never ever explain the raw tragedy It's not a war, they're just murdering more rapidly And we are automatically supporting pure savagery Imagine how you feel if this was your family In my heart forever We stand for peace Times of war We shan't surrender Remember It didn't start In this dark December Every coin is a bullet If you're Marks and Spencer And when you're sipping Coca-Cola That's another pistol In the holster Of them soulless soldiers You say you know about the Zionist lobby But you put money in their pocket When you're buying their coffee Talking about revolution Sitting in Starbucks The fact is That's the type of thinking I can't trust Let alone Even start to respect Before you talk Learn the meaning of that scarf on your neck Forget Nestle Obama Promise Israel 30 billion over the next decade They're trigger happy and they're crazy Think about that When you're putting Huggies nappies on your baby Just a war over stolen land Why do you think little boys are throwing stones at tanks? And we'll never really know how many people are dead They drop bombs on innocent girls while they sleep in their bed Don't get offended by facts, just try and listen Nothing is more anti-Semitic than Zionism So please don't bring bad vibes when you speak to me There's plenty of rabbis that agree with me It's your choice what you do with this message Don't get it confused, I view this from a human perspective How many more resolutions have to be violated? How many more children have to be annihilated?